The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Happy Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. I hope you're having a great weekend so far. Uh, I want to talk about a really tough story uh, going on here in San Diego right now. There is a guy drunk driving. Uh... Right near the border, a town called San Isidro. It's, it's on the border. San, so San Diego is about know, 20, 25 minutes north of the border. There's a couple towns in between, obviously. So there's, anyway, this guy, uh, ran, he was drunk, ran a stop sign, hit a car with a family in it. He kept going, so it was hit and run. He was arrested 30 minutes later. The family he hit was coming back from a day trip at Disneyland. They were a block away from their home. The drunk driver hit the side of the car where the six-year-old boy was in his car seat. Imagine this. The dad, imagine you're in this situation. The dad was trapped in the car, couldn't get out. The wife crawled out of the car, rushed to the boy who was unconscious, bleeding from his nose, ears, and his head. And obviously, when you're in the midst of that, you don't, you can't be like, oh, there's just a little nick in his head. No big deal. You're like, where's this blood coming from? How, like, he had two surgeries at the local children's hospital. And doctors say he has a long road ahead, but they're cautiously optimistic that he will have a full recovery. Imagine going through all this. Then, then imagine you find out that this guy who, who, who almost killed your kid is an illegal immigrant. Not only that, an illegal immigrant who's been deported 15 times. You heard that right. One, five, 15 times this guy's been deported and has come across the border 15 times in 15 years. And he was arrested for domestic violence in 2006 and in January, twice. It's impossible to wrap your head around. How often does the left how often does the left say, you know, if, if this law saves the life of one child, it's worth it? Not with immigration, though. So this to me is a great example of big to small. Alright? I d I don't know if I'm just doing a really bad bad job describing this or if people don't get it. I don't know what's hard to get it. 
when it comes to who are we going to deport from this country, illegal immigrants, we're going to go big to small. You know, everyone freaks out. Like, oh, I'm so scared. No, no, big to small. Big to small. First, we're going to deport illegal immigrant gang members and drug dealers. Anyone want to come to their defense and say they shouldn't be? I would love to hear for anyone say, nope, nope, illegal immigrant gang members should stay here in, uh, in our cities. Like, what are you talking about? Deport them. Big to small, right? Okay. Then, then, I think, call me crazy, and, you know, Democrats who are all on this, you know, war on women thing, I think they would agree with me that illegal immigrants who are convicted of domestic, uh, domestic violence should be deported as well. Okay, we're, just, we're working our way big to small, right? Big to small. Okay, so we're going to keep going down. And then, you know, advocates say that, you know, illegal immigrants are just people who are paying taxes and law-abiding and blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay. I think by the time we get down to those illegal immigrants, I think most Americans will be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Most, most, not, maybe not everyone, maybe not everyone, but I think most Americans, and I'm not saying you should, but most Americans would probably be like, mm, okay, you can stay. But not until we get rid of the illegal immigrant gang members, drug dealers, and wife beaters. Can we please? And then how do we prevent them from coming back? I don't know, 15 times. Now, I brought this up on my uh, local show. And someone called in and said, Slater, you are just trying to make cheap political points. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why? What am I, what am I, what am I doing that's, that's making cheap political? And he said, well, you're trying to characterize all illegal immigrants as this drunk driver who's been deported 15 times. I'm like, good night, man. I literally said big to small. That implies that not every single illegal immigrant is a drug dealer. That's the point. Did you not get it? Like big, we're going to go big to small. But, and I told this gentleman, I actually have a second half to my story. So let me share my second half and then you think, you can, you can call back and let me know if you still think I'm uh, you know, a bigot or whatever. I want to talk about what I think is the other side of the spectrum. Another story, just from this week, ICE, Immigration's Custom Enforcement, this is the headline, ICE will no longer delay deportations for those with private bills pending. That's the headline. ICE will no longer delay deportations for those with private bills pending. Now, the headline's wrong, and we'll get to that in a second. But I read this headline, and my first thought was, well, what's a private bill? Have you ever heard of a private bill? I've never heard of that. So these are bills that are written in Congress, the federal government, that are written that would affect a specific person. Just one, so it's a bill that every, all Congress members and senators vote on that would affect one person. A private bill. Now, I don't like the idea of this at all. Right? I think Congress should only deal with broad-based laws, not a law. But these private bills, when it comes to immigration, it's a bill that says, you know, literally, Chris Johnson is now a legal citizen. That's a private bill. And, and this is no good. You, we can't run a country like this. Since 1983, there's been over 2,000 of these. Now, the UT, uh, the Union Tribune, that's the San Diego paper, they wrote an article uh, about this, and they wrote about Flavia Cahoon. She came to the Philippines on a fiancé visa 
But immigration officials never gave her a green card when she got married because she checked the wrong box on her application. Now, I need more details about that. I don't know what box she did or didn't check, right? If it's a box that's like, you know, I don't know, what, what gender are you? That, that, that's, all right, you missed it. You missed the box. But if it's a, have you ever been committed of a, uh, convicted of a felony in your home country or something like that? Like, that's a little more serious of a box that you didn't check or you checked wrong or whatever. So I don't know what box she didn't check. But this woman then uh, divorced her husband, got remarried in 1997, and they had a daughter together who's now in the Navy. Now, the normal process would require her to return to the Philippines for 10 years before her husband could sponsor her green card. That's what the law says. But there's a private bill that Dianne Feinstein, senator in California, has written, a private bill that would uh, grant her legal status. Now, here's the thing. ICE tried to deport her in 2005. Dianne Feinstein proposed a bill, this bill, that would make her a U.S. citizen. So ICE said, okay, we'll wait. We'll wait until we find out what's going on with the bill. We'll find out. We'll wait until the bill gets uh, passed or, or voted down. That was in 2005. The bill hasn't been voted on yet. It's still pending. So do you see how this works? All a congressman has to do is write the bill, propose the bill, and then never do anything with it ever again. And ICE would delay and delay and delay and delay and delay. And the person would essentially be allowed to stay here illegally. So this is why ICE is saying, okay, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> right Now, the headline says that ICE will no longer, let me see if I can read it. ICE will no longer delay deportations for those with private bills pending. That's not true. Now, I, this is so lazy, and, and it's more than lazy, but in the article, they link to the actual letter that ICE sent to Congress. So this doesn't take that much research. They linked to it themselves. You th would think they would have read the letter before they go write the article in the headline. But ICE says in the letter that if there's a private bill that's written, then ICE will give a stay of 60 days. So 60-day delay for the deportation. And then the director can issue another 90-day extension if necessary. But after that, that's it. No more, you know, in this case, 12 years waiting for this bill to be voted on that's never going to be voted on. Voted on. All right? And ICE is like, listen, we can't, we can't operate like that. And I think that makes sense. But it's not It's not no longer will delay deportations. It'll delay them for, whatever, uh, five months. Vote on the bill. Vote or don't vote on the bill. But, like, let, let it, hurry up. Like, you're right, you, can't, you can't just... It's like uh, they found a loophole. Congress found a loophole in keeping some illegal immigrants here. Now, I bring these two stories up together because this woman from the Philippines probably should be allowed to stay in America. Now, listen, I don't know any more details than the three sentences that were written about her in this newspaper article. So I don't really know. But just based on we can kind of go with what we got, she probably should be allowed to stay, right? It seems like a bureaucratic issue that she didn't check the right box that could be handled with a little bit of discretion and probably doesn't need to be deported. Now, maybe if someone who knows her file and they're like, no, Slater, she's got to go. She's a drug dealer. Like, I don't know. But just based on this, seems like she should be allowed to stay. But I bring this up together because high to low, the illegal immigrant who abuses his wife and has been convicted of it twice 
That's high, high priority. He's got to go. Low priority, the woman who's married and raised a daughter who's now in the Navy. So who do we deport? Let's focus on high priority first, then work our way down. Do not get... See, this is what the left does. They try to uh, only... They try to get you to say that... Uh, they try to make you feel guilty to go back to the last hour. They try to make you feel guilty for having this opinion that people, illegal immigrants should be deported by saying, by making it seem that all illegal immigrants are like this woman who raised daughters that are in the military. And, and then you're like, no, some of them are drunk drivers who kill kids. Okay, so let's all admit that there is a spectrum. It's okay to admit that. Okay, so now what do we do with that? High to low. If you, if you are against illegal immigration, then a lot of people who are against it think that all immigrants are drunk drivers. All illegal immigrants are drunk drivers. That's not true. If you're for illegal immigration then you think all immigrants are like this woman from the Philippines who just checked the wrong box. I think we need to admit that there's a spectrum and it's okay that there's a spectrum. Now, all of them are here illegally. That's totally true. But how do we handle it? That's the question. And like I said a minute ago, I bet that if we do this properly and we go from high to low, I bet that if we start working our way down the spectrum, right, we can get to a point I don't know where it is, but we can get to some point where 95% of Americans would be pretty okay with stopping at, oh yeah, person who checked the wrong box on a form by accident, they can stay. But not until we deport everyone else who is on the more extreme side of that person as an illegal immigrant. That has to happen first. And then there's got to be some way to prevent those people being deported from coming back over 15 more times. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on, uh, on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Slater. Slater, thanks for being here. Let me, uh, I just heard a little promo there about uh, Comey. So let me talk just for one quick second about, the, not so much about it, you've heard a ton about Comey in general, but just the, the coverage of it. So New York Times, uh, one of the reporters from the New York Times, Jill Lawrence, she said, the mystery begins to unwind. And then quoted the New York Times, days before he was fired, Comey asked for money for Russia investigation. And all the different news outlets picked it up. And this not true. Or we don't know if it's true, but it's probably not. Uh, the 
Department of Justice categorically denies on the record that this happened. Um, and the, uh, the anonymous sources that the New York Times used don't even work for the Department of Justice or the FBI. So who knows? But this is how quickly rumors can spread, especially when you have reporters who aren't looking for the truth as much as they're looking for a scoop and they're looking to connect the dots. They're looking to solve the mystery, even if there are no dots to connect. And I got a story here, totally unrelated, that I think is a perfect example of this. And, and just reporting in general. So there's a guy in New York, New York City. His sister died, and he was going through her estate. And in her closet, she found a box marked Old Records. So long story short, these, this box was full of original Bob Dylan records. But not, not just the records, like the original like recording session tracks. So these weren't for sale ever. These are the, they got the track notes on them and it's like the original like rehearsal tracks, right? Nice piece of history here. So he sent it off to this guy, Jeff Gold, who's some music industry guy and a collector. And this guy wrote a blog post about this discovery. Here's what he said. He said, I assumed that this would be a big story in the Bob Dylan collecting community but was astounded at the overwhelming reaction from the mainstream media. This was a couple weeks ago. And he goes on, he talks about how his blog post was picked up by a ton of different newspapers, including Rolling Stone. But the Rolling Stone writer never reached out to him. He just paraphrased the blog post that this guy made. He said in the past, at the very least, Rolling Stone would have had, would have had a fact checker call to verify all the information. But in today's instant media age, they just went with it. Everybody wants to be the first on the story. In all, probably 100 newspapers, blogs, and other media outlets around the world published the story. And in almost every case, they simply rewrote my blog post and copied the photos from my blog. And I'm writing about this because it blew my mind how the internet has changed the way a story is reported. I've done many interviews over the past 35 years as a record executive and music historian and collector, but I've never, ever experienced anything like this. Reporters in mass simply rewriting a blog post with no fact-checking or any attempt made to contact the author. And a few weeks after the media frenzy died down, it dawned on me. I could have made this whole thing up, and nobody would have been the wiser. Of course, I didn't. The whole thing is true. But probably a 100 newspapers, for the most part, just went with a story on a blog that sounded true. And it just goes to show, you can't believe everything you read on the internet or in the newspaper. So this is a great example of the Gell-Mann amnesia effect. So this is something that was created by Michael Crichton, who's one of the most brilliant people of our era. And here, here's the short of it. Uh, well, let me quote from him. He says, the Gell-Mann amnesia effect is, and it's called the Gell-Mann amnesia effect because he was with two guys whose last names were Gell and Mann when they talked about it over lunch. He just made it up to sound more professional. He says, he opened the newspaper to an article on some subject you know well. And you read the article and you see how the journalist has absolutely no understanding of the facts or the issues, right? So you read an article and you're like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about because you know it, like you know this topic. No clue what they're talking about. Like, let's say you know football and you're reading an article and they talk about, you know, fifth down on the football, in, in, in the football park or something, right? Or they hit a home run on, on 6th and 12. And you're like, what are you... Like, you're like, they have no idea what they're talking about. Often the article is so wrong, but it goes on. 
In any case, you read with exasperation or amusement the multiple errors in the story, then turn the page to national or international affairs and read as if the rest of the newspaper was somehow more accurate about Palestine than the baloney you just read. You turn the page and you forget what you know. Does that make sense? So you read an article about something you do know, and it's horribly inaccurate in every single way. It's like laughably awful. And then you turn the page and you read an article about something you don't know, and you assume that it's spot on accurate. No, it's just as awful. It's written just as poorly. The person who wrote that article knows as little about that as the article that you read where you know that the writer knows almost nothing. The whole, that's the whole newspaper. And that's everything on the media that you see all the time. People just like, mm, I don't know, maybe. And like, they've, they're not even close to the truth. And this guy, uh, this Bob Dylan story, he witnessed it firsthand. He saw how quickly things can spread. Information can spread with zero fact checking at all. But then turns the page in that same newspaper and assumes, oh yeah, that's definitely fact checked and written with a lot of scrutiny. No, it's not either. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I got another uh, example of the Gelman amnesia effect. Does it make sense? So I, the number one way to get someone to never believe what they read in the newspaper is to somehow have them quoted in the newspaper. Because if you yourself are ever quoted in the newspaper and then you go and you read your quote and you say, whoa, 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 that's, that's not what I said at all. That's not even close to what I said. So this is why if, I, if I'm ever interviewed, which is you know, rarely, but if I ever am, I, I'm not kidding. I talk this slowly. I talk as slowly as it takes to write. All right, it's because they're, if they're writing down what I say, I want them to get every word. Because if you talk fast, then they, they write shorthand and then they have to try to piece it together and they're going to get it wrong. So I will literally talk this slowly. And I'm not getting it. So I do that and uh, try to get it recorded so you can go back. Anyway, so so still, though, you'll see yourself misquoted horribly in one article and then turn the page and read a quote from someone else about a different article and assume that that's right. No, it's all wrong. <laughs> it's all, all wrong. So I got another similar uh, version of this. This is San Diego Unified, our school district here. Uh, months ago, months ago. There were reports that there was lead in the drinking water at schools in the district. A few months later, they tested the water and they found lead in a few more schools. This was about two months ago. They just found more lead in a different elementary school. Why does it take so long to, to test the lead levels? What the heck is going on? I looked it up the other day uh, for 15 bucks. Well, $20, but $5 off. 
uh, you can go to Amazon and with two-day shipping, you can get a lead water testing kit sent to your house. Now, I'm sure you can swing by Home Depot and get one right now, but uh, it's a big school district. Maybe uh, you got to get a bunch of kits, so like, I'll give you a week. Okay, get a week to get, to get all the lead tests, and then you pass those tests off to the, every school. I'll take you a day to drive around all the schools, and I'll give the janitors uh, two days to test all the water fountains and sinks to test the water. I'm sure it's an instant test, right? I'm sure you put a piece of paper underneath the water. If it turns a certain color, it's got lead or it doesn't, right? So I'm pretty quick to do. So you can give them a couple days to do that. So within a week and a half, then we should know the quality of all the water in all the different sinks and drinking fountains in the district. I'll give you 10 days. This has been taking, we're coming up on over half a year and they're still finding some. Do you know, do you want to know how they first found out there was water? Cause you're probably thinking, well, hold on. If they knew there was water in the first place, how, how do they know in the first place that, you know, cause you say it took a months to test. How did they know in the first place? You want to know how they found out there was a therapy dog that was in one of the schools for some reason. I have no idea. I have no idea what, how this works, but there's a therapy dog and the trainer filled up the dog's bowl with water from a sink in the school and the dog wouldn't drink it. The water wasn't good enough for the dog. So the trainer went to the school and said, Hey, the water is pretty funky. And they tested it and sure enough, it had lead in it. And then it took a month before they finally tested all the other schools. And they're still finding schools months later that have lead. Now, this is all bad enough, but then, and I don't want to get too local here because national show but over the last 13 years the voters of san diego unified school district have given the school district five billion dollars in school construction bonds specifically to fix the pipes in our schools there were two reasons that now these are these are it's five billion dollars over three different votes right each one passed two reasons why, why we needed to pass these bond measures every time they came to us Two: number one, remove the asbestos from our schools. Number two, fix the pipes and the fountains in our schools. 13 years later, zero asbestos has been removed. None. And now they're just finding out that there's lead in the water. Because of the pipes. So they obviously had no intention of ever fixing those either. $5 billion later. So what was this money spent on? Wi-Fi, um, turfs, uh, new, new artificial turf for the football fields, um, lighting for the football fields. And I could, I could go on and on for this forever. Just so unbelievably corrupt. It is, it's beyond my comprehension. And what blows me away is no one cares. No one cares. If my kid went to a school, my kid's seven months old today. So not in school yet, but if my kid went to a school that had lead in their drinking, Oh, by the way, it's not really the pipes. It's literally just the fountains. It's the fountains are so old. So it's just at the end. So this is different than Flint. So in Flint, the water's polluted and the whole way along, right? The water's polluted and then it doesn't really get treated. And then the pipes, the whole way are a problem. And this is, the water's fine all the way until the water fountain. 
It's just the last step. So you just got to replace the water fountain, which is like 300 bucks at a Home Depot as well. So if I was dropping my kid off at a school after giving $5 billion to the district, specifically to fix this issue, then they find out that it might be an issue and it takes them months to confirm whether or not it's an issue. And then it turns out it is. And this whole time my kid was drinking lead out of the drinking fountain. Holy cow. What does it take to light pitchforks on fire? What is it? What is it? What could it possibly take? If not this, what? I mean, for the love of Pete, half of kids can't read. So it's not the quality of the education that's going to let people make people light their pitchforks on fire. That clearly isn't working, right? Oh, here's uh, uh, 80% of juniors at this high school in town. And this is true. Can't read at grade level. Okay. No one cares about that. No big, no big deal. Whatever. We're just going to keep doing everything we're doing now. And then hopefully it'll get better. And it never will. Okay, so no one cares about that. All right. So I've given up. I've given up. I don't, no, no, no one's going to get fired up by the fact that the schools don't teach kids anything. How about the fact that they're poisoning your kids and you still don't care? After lying to you about it for all these years? Still, no one cares. No one cares. It's that, that's the thing that gets me so fired up whenever we talk about our local school district. And I'm sure yours is the same. It is unbelievable to me that people still drop their kids off at school. Now, I know it's easy for me to say I only have a seven-month-old, but holy cow, what will it take for you to not anymore? Parents need to go on strike. We are always threatened with teacher strikes all the time, and sometimes they do. We need a parent strike. Just don't show up. And if you don't show up, the school doesn't get paid. I don't know how it works in every state, but in California, the money that the school gets is based on attendance. So every kid that shows up every day, the school gets money. So if you don't show up on a day, school doesn't get paid. So if none of the parents and none of the kids show up that day, I'll tell you, that's how you get their attention. Because right now, the water's poison. And there's there's no intention, zero intention of fixing it. And we wouldn't even know about it if the dog didn't refuse to drink it in the first place. After we give them $5 billion, which they said was going to be used to fix the pipe. What the heck else more do you want? And apparently this still isn't it. This, is, this still isn't enough. So the Gell-Mann amnesia effect on this is, look at this unbelievable corruption and inept- ineptness, ineptness that, le- that leads to this whole story I just shared you about. But parents think that the rest of the school district is run just first class the whole way. Everything else, everything else is perfect from the lunch program to the math program to the language program to the buses to everything. Everything else in the school district is run with a 100% efficiency and your money and your best interest and your kid's best interest in mind. Oh, okay, fine. We slipped up a little bit with the lead water, but everything else is perfect. No, everything else is this bad. Always. And if anything happens to go well, it's in spite of the system. This is not the anomaly. Lead in the water is not an anomaly. This is the norm. If things go well, it's an anomaly. And no one cares. I, I, I don't know what to do. one 888 Uh I want to come back. I'll do something much, much different. Uh, we'll, do a, we'll do a little Mother's Day segment here. Coming up next. The next one's for the moms. AM7 era on uh, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. 
on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio, this is Mike Slater. So you know what tomorrow is? Ooh, got had, had to be a little faster than that. Had to be a little faster than that if you were not top of mind. Tomorrow's Mother's Day. I uh, got to be top of mind here, gents. Hurry up. Got a couple more hours. Uh, I read an article the other day written by a military mom, and uh, I want to share her perspective here. I think it's worth it because I know we have a lot of military moms listening now who I think will give an amen to all of this. So this mom has four kids, three sons and a daughter, and she has gone through 12 deployments between the four of them. She says it never gets easier. No matter how many times her babies go off to war, it never gets easier. She knows what to expect, but it doesn't make it easy. She has some pieces of advice, though. She says to have a battle plan. During one deployment, one of her kids went to Afghanistan and she dedicated herself to running the dis- running and walking the distance from her house to Afghanistan throughout the deployment. Right, That was her battle plan. One year, she planted a, a blue and gold garden, just something to distract yourself from the worry. She says you should get a battle buddy, someone you can call at 2 a.m., someone who has been there before, someone who gets it, someone who won't say, you know, well, at least they're not in Afghanistan or, or I can't believe you let her go or something not appropriate. Get a battle buddy who's battle hardened. She says it's okay to make a preemptive strike. And by strike, she means cry. A preemptive cry. Let it go. Let it go when you feel it. Let it go when you're in control of it because if you do that, then you won't cry when you're at the grocery store parking lot, when you see a truck that looks like your son's truck. She lost it in one parking lot one day. So give a preemptive cry. Maybe you can avoid moments like that. She says, expect no news and no news is good news. I can see how some people would think no news is bad news. Like what's going on? No, no news is good news. And speaking of news, don't watch the TV news because it's just people speculating and discussing and, and military moms need to protect their minds from worry. You got enough to worry about, right? You don't need anyone on the TV adding to it, especially because they don't know what they're talking about. As we just talked about her advice to other moms is to make your kids not worry about you. They have enough to focus on too. She says she would hide her fears and, and send them off with a smile. Now her kids know she's upset. It's mom. <laughs> I mean, she would hide her fears, but it's not like she was burying them. Like she knew, or the kids knew. But mom understood that it's her duty to be brave and to step up and to support them. Her final piece of advice is to pray. She says, prayer and meditation do wonders to calm my soul. She says, I love to knit and pray. Every stitch is a prayer. 
My Marine commented on his last deployment, you know when mom has someone deployed, production goes way up. She says, I have to depend on my faith to keep myself focused and not frantic. So there's mom's advice. I think that's about right. It never gets easier. It's important to understand. Have a battle buddy. Give a preemptive cry. No news is good news. Don't watch the news. Be brave and pray. So this is my wife's first Mother's Day. She worries when my son Jack is with a babysitter for an hour while we have a date night at Chick-fil-A literally down the block. There's a Chick-fil-A right two, it's two blocks away from my house. So we'll, we'll go to Chick-fil-A for an hour and we'll babysitter come over and watch Jack and she's worried the whole time. I can't imagine if Jack ever joins the military one day. My mom gets worried when I get on an airplane. It's what moms do. But the moms... The moms who can, first of all, raise a son or daughter to have the principles and the desire to go into the military in the first place. That makes that mom worthy of all of our praise. But then to have a mom who can emotionally go on deployment with their kids and be just as brave and strong as they are, that is, that is pretty spectacular. And then on top of all that, the moms whose worst fears come true, but then still dedicate their lives to helping other moms. Happy Mother's Day to our Gold Star moms, to all military moms. Thank you for raising heroes. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.